we started a, a, a series about growing in sonship. Um, we know God wants us to have a revelation of who we are to Him, and we've talked about identity here this morning a bunch, and sang about it, and you know we've prophesied it. We we speak it, we speak it, we speak it. But man, we've got to get some traction. This can't be just an emotional moment that we have on a Sunday morning where we go, yeah, that sounds great. No, this has to spill over into Monday morning at your job. And it's got to spill over into your family. And this has got to spill over into your relationships. Your identity as a son is paramount to your uh, having the life that you are dreaming of. Because we're all dreaming about a life. Every one of us has a vision and a dream that we want it to look like and to feel like. And it's all wrapped up in this revelation of you becoming a son or daughter in your ways of living. And so last week week I started talking about that, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to rehearse it. It's on the podcast. If you want to go look at that, um, I encourage you to go. Please listen to that. And I just I need to just launch into what we're going to talk about today in growing in sonship. And I just I want to remind us um, that to a couple of resources that are helping me share this message are these by Jack Frost, uh, two books, Experiencing the Father's Embrace and Spiritual Slavery to Sonship. Those are two books that are um, I'm getting a lot of encouragement from and a lot of help when it comes to putting my message together. So if you want to know what I know, get these books because I'm on this journey like you are. I am growing in my sonship and in my revelation. God's revealing all kinds of areas of my life where I don't act like a son. I don't think like a son. I don't believe like a son. And so um, we've got some brilliant people like Jack Frost who's gone before us and he's he's actually passed away a few years ago from cancer. His wife, Trisha, still carries on their ministry, um, but his voice is still carrying on. Amen? It's the beauty of, of having a resource to go after. So, so last week during my message, um, I made a statement that Father God was smiling at us. Remember that? And then I asked everyone to show me a big teethy smile. Remember that? Yeah. Well, sorry. So to my surprise, um, several were not smiling. <laughs> they weren't smiling back at me, you know. I, I mean, I just, it was a simple request. Give me a big toothy smile. It's like a prophetic, we'll, we'll get all spiritual. It's like a prophetic declaration of the Father smiling over you, right? And not many, there were a few that didn't smile back. Especially the dudes. A lot of bros out there were just like. (laughs) Kind of like some of you right now. Like a lot of dudes would not smile. And so, you know, for some reason, we are, we're struggling with the idea that God is smiling when he thinks about it. And this seems really to be a problem for us as men. So today, I'm going to narrow down on that truth. That God is smiling when he thinks about you. 
So my message today is growing in sonship. You are Father's happy thought. And the reason I think we struggle with believing that God is smiling and probably the reason most of us are struggling with that is um, because we live under the, qu- the, the crushing weight of should. And I'm talking about the word should. You know, every day we live with the mental burden of I should do this. I should do that. I should be this. I should have that. I should know this. I should own that. I should think this. I should stop that. I should, I should, I should, right? I mean, we're shooting all over the place. It's all the shoulds that give us an unhealthy fear that keeps us from coming into God's presence. See, very few people find the place of intimacy with God. And very few of us, as I shared last week, and I'm going to hit this again this week a lot, we don't feel at home with love. And so most of us need a new version of God. Meaning that we need a new understanding of who God really, really is. See, if we are still battling with fears, if we're still battling with inferiority and insecurities, then that is a clear indication that we need a new understanding of God. A new image of who God is. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know, all of the negative things in our lives, all the negative self-talk, all the negative behavior and attitudes, they all really boil down to one thing. We really don't know how valuable we are to God. See, when we battle these things, that's where fear is coming from. It's where our insecurities are coming from. And and fears and insecurities are a clear indication that we don't have a safe place with God. Your image of the Father is going to determine the level of intimacy that you have with Him and how comfortable you are with love. Your image of the Father is going to determine the level of intimacy that you have with Him and how comfortable you are with love. And this next statement that I, I'm going to say, I, I said it last week, but I just, I'm going to say it even just a little different, with a little different twist this week. And that is, however we think that the Father reacts to us when we fail, it's going to determine how we treat others 
when they fail us. We are made in the image of God. We are created by God's love. We are created for his love, with his love, so that we can share his love with others. You know, the differ- what's the difference between a visitor and a family member? Well, one difference is, is that we are never completely comfortable with a visitor, right? Oh, my gosh, if we find out someone's coming over or friends are coming over, what do we do? We clean the toilet. <laughs> we clean the toilet. We clean the bathroom. We start sweeping and pushing toys under couches and in closets and whatever, right? How's come you don't act like that with family? <laughs> it's comfort. It's our comfort level. See, here's the thing. God is looking for a habitation with us. He wants to abide with us. See, he's not looking for just a visitation. God doesn't just want to be a visitor. Hey, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd pop in. <gasps> Wait, let me clean up my mess. God is looking for a habitation with us. And because we are struggling with love, it's not happening like it should. You know, one of the greatest problems of my life personally has been perfectionism. I have done literally everything in my power to eliminate failure, problems, disappointment, and disaster. And in my efforts to fix the world and everything in it, At times, it has led me down a really dark path. A path that sometimes leads to depression. And that's because as hard as I work and as hard as I try, there are just some things I can't control. And what I find is as long as I'm so consumed, as long as we're all so consumed with the things in our life that still need perfecting, we never find rest with God. Whether it's our job, our ministry, our children, our marriage, our schooling, our social media presence, our health. When we are consumed with those things, notice the word consumed. When we are consumed with that stuff and not the love of the Father, 
it just leads us to unrest. Mental and physical exhaustion. How many has been there besides me? But in the midst of this, we have this truth that the Father has created us for rest. <clears throat> you know, when God did creation, he, he did all the work. Days one through six, he created, created, created. He worked, he worked, he worked. Man didn't do a thing. Created man on the sixth day, and then the next day is what? A day of rest. Man's first full day was a day of resting with God. John 8, 14 says that Jesus answered, he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans and I will come to you. 14, 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, as long as we're consumed with the things in our lives that still need perfecting, and, and again, I'm not saying that we don't, you know, we're not out obeying God in every area of our life. We have to do that. But, but when we are consumed with perfecting everything, we will never find rest in God. And He has created us for this rest. Father God is looking for a home in us. But when we are constantly striving for perfection, we can never find that place of rest. See, one thing that religion has done to us is it has portrayed God as angry and out to get us when we fail. And listen, if you haven't figured this out, let me give you a real big revelation. You cannot have intimacy with someone who's angry with you all the time. Did you hear me, fellas? Can't have intimacy with someone who's angry all the time. And so we've got religion, and it's taught us that God is angry, and, and what religion has really done is it's hidden, hidden to, from us the real God, who God really is to us. While at the same time we have Jesus who died, that we might have intimacy with the Father and be restored completely to His love. Think about when you were a kid. When we were children, mom and or dad was a place of warmth, place of comfort, of joy, of safety. 
security. Think about your little ones you still have at home. That is one of the blessings of childhood. It's to have a place that's safe, a place that's warm, a place that's comfort, a place where I, I'm free to, to be me. And as a child, that, what that means is that our parents or maybe even our grandparents, they were our happy thought. They were the happy thought of our young lives. I mean, think about it, a, a, a small child or a baby. I mean, you can cram toys. Here, play with this. Look at this. And they're like, ah, where's my mom? One happy thought. It's there. It's mama. Eventually, it's pop. No, here, go, go, go. Occupy yourself. No, I want you. You're my happy thought. Mom, Dad. So, so this problem happens in our lives. When we lose our childlikeness, we lose our happy thought. See, if, if your happy thought as a, either a young person now or as an adult, if your happy thought isn't how much the Father loves you, if that's not your happy thought, when you get into crisis, you will look for love in all the wrong places. See, you will either live your life as if you have a home or you will live your life as if you do not have a home. And it all comes down to our image of the Father and His love for us. So I've got two reasons that I, I think I have. And there's probably more, but I'm just going to use two today. Two reasons why we're not finding rest. Why we're not comfortable with love. And the first one is a misrepresentation of the Father's love by our earthly parents. And what this does is this causes us to look at our Heavenly Father through the lens of what our relationships with our earthly parents looked like. If we do not see God as loving and forgiving, full of grace, full of mercy, we're going to be weighed down with some stuff. Here's a short list of what we'll be weighed down with. Fears, insecurities, and anxieties. A sense of loneliness, separation, or isolation. Feelings of discouragement, guilt, and shame. Sense of failure and feeling that you never measure up. 
on our parents, that picture is what we see God through. Sometimes they don't do a good job. In fact, I promise you there were some days your parents did a really bad job of this. This is what happens. And that's what we have. Second thing we have is we have developed a false understanding of who God is. And this is, again, back to my point of what religion has done for us. Because of religion, and, and religion is based on performance. It's built on hyper-religious activity, fear. And because religion has given us a false understanding of God, what it does is it's left us now, we've got to get a new one. We have to have a new revelation of God because God in religion is presented as a harsh taskmaster to whom we must measure up in order to be loved, to be accepted, and to be blessed. God's not going to bless me if I don't get it all right, if I don't perfect my life, I don't clean up my act. And see, religion that's based on performance or fear, it creates a hidden lie inside of us that, you know, it brings a misunderstanding of who God is, and it tells us that we've got to perform well. We've got to, we've got to do everything just right in order, uh, you know, to get more of God's blessing. We've got to dig deeper. And, and so... What religion also has done is it downplays the, the place or the effective um, use of our emotions. John 14 reveals to us Jesus' view of the Father. We've got a bad one. Jesus has got a good one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Now, this special place that Jesus is talking about, it's called the bosom of the Father. John chapter 1, verse 18 in the Amplified talks about it. It says, No man has ever seen God at any time, the only unique Son or the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom, the intimate presence of the Father. And he has declared him, has revealed him, and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him, and he has made him known. The bosom of the Father is an intimate place. It's this spot right here where we like to keep our babies. And small kids who are still willing to get up on our lap and let us hug them. Lincoln won't let me hug him like that anymore. <laughs> Benjamin, he's a different problem. <laughs> <coughs> I 
He crawls into bed, and I'm like, get out. <laughs> no, I need you. Yeah, you need me now that it's bedtime. <laughs> I'm ready to go to sleep. Need me at noon tomorrow. I'll be there. <laughs> Jesus came from the bosom of the Father, and he went back to that place where he came from to prepare a place for us. See, he was showing us that just as he went to the bosom of the Father, so we have access even now to that special place with the Father as well. And, and we can be safe and we can actually live without fear and without anxiety. That's a big word in our culture right now. Fear and anxiety is wrecking people. And that is because we have not yet been to the safe place in God. We have not entered into that place, the bosom of the Father. Well, I don't know what's going on out there, but right here, I'm safe. I am safe right here. Because that's what, the, that's what perfect love does, right? We read that in 1 John. There is no fear in perfect love. You know, Jesus, he said that he was the way to the Father, right? Remember that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Derek Prince says that a way has no meaning if it has no destination. If it doesn't get you where you are going, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the way to the Father. Who's our destination? Go ahead and say it out loud. Who's the destination? The Father. The Father, Jesus is the way we are headed to, one more time, over here, the Father is the destination, He is our ultimate destination, and, and here's the cool thing in all of this is that if we know Jesus, then guess what? We know who the Father is. We've seen the Father. That's what Jesus says. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? Who? You know, when my voice goes higher, yours has to go higher. And then we keep going until it's really loud. Have you not been to a concert like... <sighs> I'm trying, Jesus. I'm so trying with these people. <laughs> the beauty of this is if we've seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. We know what the Father is like. He's not some mysterious enigma hidden away in heaven. He's been perfectly revealed to us. 
Hebrews 1.3 tells us this. He says, Jesus, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact, everyone say exact. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. You know who the Father is. You know exactly what He's like. Jesus, here, let's just, here's a list of what Jesus reveals about the nature of the Father. The Father is meek and lowly of heart, of humble and a gentle spirit. The Father's generosity is based on what He has and longs to give us, not what we deserve or don't deserve. The Father is non-judgmental. The Father is non-judgmental. The Father loves me the way I am, not the way I should be. The Father loves me the way I am and not the way others tell me I should be. Michelle, listen to that. Oh, you said it. The Father is loving. The Father is forgiving. The Father calms the storms of my life. The Father is compassionate and empathetic. The Father meets my needs. The Father even touches the unclean. The Father is the one He heals. The Father is more concerned with people's needs than with religious law. The Father is not ashamed to be called our Father. The Father is a servant Father. For us to live in fear of the Father is to fall short of what Jesus died for. You think Jesus saved, died to save you from hell. Yep. You got your fire insurance. That's nothing. Jesus conquering hell and death was the easy thing he did. It's getting a revelation of the Father in us that, man. Jesus died so that we could see the Father and know him. And for us to live in fear of the Father is to fall short of what Jesus died for. Jesus was the man he was because of the father he had. And guess what? The same is true for us. We are the people we are, and it's either going to be based on our heavenly father that we have, or it's going to be based on the parents we had. The choice is ours. Like father, like son. John 5, 19, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, 
Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. 8.28 says, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 8, 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you've heard from your father. I mean, that is a profound statement. That we are repeating many times the sins of our fathers. But for Jesus, whatever the Father does and did, the Son did in like manner. Everything, say everything. Everything Everything Jesus did, everything he said was exactly what he had seen or had been told by the Father to do. And so for us, somewhere we have believed a lie that has told us That Jesus was kind and loving, but the Father is harsh and angry. Jesus was more concerned with people's needs than he was the law. And where does this false false image of God's harshness and, and his anger, it's all from the law. Our knowledge of the law, the, the knowledge of right and wrong, right? I'm right or I'm wrong. When I'm wrong, God's angry. Jesus, who showed us the Father, lived meeting people's needs more than he did about the law in their life. Now you think about when he fed the multitudes. There were people who loved him, and there were people who could have cared less. They were righteous and unrighteous, and guess what? Everybody got some bread and fish. He meets the needs of the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But again, somewhere we have been taught that we have to get everything in order for God to even bless us a little bit. And guess what that does? That causes us to have faith in myself oh that's a terrible place for my faith to be if I got to get this all right so that I can get a crumb from the table of God all praise to Tom be glory We have faith in ourselves instead of God's love for us. Instead of in our crisis going, oh God, I'm so glad you love me. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, you're, you're safe right now. This isn't a punishment because I'm a bad boy. 
This is an opportunity to move into the bosom of the Father. Because God lives, he, he lives to meet our needs. Just for the only reason is because He's a loving Father. And He gives us what He has, not what we deserve. That's how the relationship got started in the first place. You got Jesus. And if you say yes to Jesus, you're the Son of God, I believe you. You get it all. Not you didn't, you deserved hell. I deserved hell. God gave me what I needed. A savior. Not what I deserved. That's what a loving father does. I mean, let's look at this judgment of the father. John 5:22 says, "For the father judges no one." Let's let's say that together. For the father judges no one. One more time with meaning. For the Father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. And guess what else? Who doesn't judge? Jesus. He doesn't judge us or condemn us or accuse us either. That's what the accuser of the brethren does. Don't believe me? Here we go. John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I what? What? I do not judge him? For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And who's the judge? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. (coughs) See, when we believe that God is angry with us, there can be no intimacy. When we feel like He's holding us at arm's length, we can't have intimacy with God. See, our relationships also become guarded as well with each other. But here's the thing. Unconditional love is not based on the merit of the one receiving it, but rather on the one who's giving it. There was a study done by Mark Verkler who uh, has got an online college. And and that study says that 80% of Christians' thoughts are negative. 
And, and, but what we do is that so many of us, we use religious words and phrases and ideas to justify our complaining, our gossip, our backbiting. See, and it, it, when we participate in, in that kind of activity, it's because we don't really have a right relationship with the Father. We don't truly understand what intimacy and love is really about. And, and the danger that we are in is that if we stop with Jesus, we fall short of what Jesus died for, which is access to the Father. And in times of crisis, we have got to learn this. And guess what this week's going to happen? I'm going to see on your Facebook crisis stuff. Oh, life is hard, and this has happened, and that's terrible, and all of these things. Crisis. This week, you will get to practice what I'm talking about. I may just creep on your profile and write the sermon. Just write the word sermon. (laughs) Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. You know, in John's, uh, the book of John, chapters 14 through 17, Jesus speaks of the Father 51 times. And, you know, one of the things I said earlier that Jesus reveals about the Father is that Father God is a servant Father. Matthew 23, 11 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Who's greater than the Father? None. Matthew 20, verse 26, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And Jesus reveals what? Who the Father is. God is a servant Father. And the fullness of love, listen to me, the fullness of love is expressed in service. Lust, according to Edwin Louise Cole, is seeking to get your needs met at another's expense. But love is seeking to meet another's need at your own expense. See, we've not fully loved someone until we are willing to meet their needs at our own expense. So everything that I'm saying today, if you just hear one thing, I wanted to point to this one, one thought. That's what I said at the very beginning. You are the Father's happy thought. Jeremiah 29 says that. In the New King James, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We are Father God's happy thought. All of His thoughts towards us are good, and not evil. 
And it is impossible for him to think bad things about us. I'm going to say that again. We are Father's happy thoughts. All of his thoughts towards us are good and not evil. And it is impossible for him to think bad things about us. God is light. Right? And does the Bible say that? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Not even a little bit. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says this about love. It's talking about love, and love is who? God. God is love. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, and what else? Love thinks no evil, except on a bad day, right? Is that in there? I'm having a really rough day. I really was blowing it, and God's just like, you're a piece of crap. (laughs) Never happens, but how many of us think that? See, when we finally begin to believe that we are fully loved and accepted by the Father, guess what returns to us? Childlikeness. It's restored. And when that happens in us, we begin to be able to help rescue others. We are able to help them to come and believe that they are unconditionally loved by the Father as well. Now, as I wrap up here, I realize that there are some who may believe, and I'll say me, this is where my struggle has been. Some of us believe, me included at times, that a teaching like this gives people a license to sin. I'm one of those guys. Teaching like this tends to make God ordinary or common. And if we give people too much grace, then it'll lessen a person's reverence and fear and respect for God. But here's some questions I think we all need to ask ourselves. Why don't you just close your eyes while I'm asking these questions. Which God would you have more honor and respect for? The angry God or the compassionate God? Which one would you be most likely to seek an intimate relationship with? Angry God or compassionate God? What kind of father do your children wish you were? Angry dad or compassionate dad? Think about this. Has a relationship with the angry God brought you into more intimacy and more love with Him and your relationships? Which God would the lost and the wounded be most drawn to? Angry God or mercy and grace God?
Which God do you want to spend eternity with? Angry God or the loving and compassionate God? Which God do you want? Is it the grace of Father God that motivates us? Or is it going to be fear of an angry God? What's motivating you most right now? I know what the answer is, and I know what you answered. You want a loving, compassionate full of mercy and grace, God. I believe that it is the grace of the Father that actually motivates us towards godliness. I don't think fear of an angry God has done much of anything for anyone. So put your hand on your heart as I pray for you. I want you to know that you are Father God's happy thought. So smile. Because God is smiling at you. He's so proud of you. He so loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He's not ashamed of you. You're not an embarrassment to him. You haven't failed him. You're not letting him down. You are his happy thought. You are who puts a smile on his face. Not on your good days, on every day. And so I pray, Father, today for a deep and great healing in our hearts. God, forgive us for for seeing you as the angry God. Forgive us for allowing religion to lie to us and the devil to accuse you. Forgive us, God. And I pray today, God, that you would heal our hearts. I'm asking God for a a mighty and powerful move of heaven. That she would break our hard hearts today, God. And that you would, God, reveal your love in a way that is overwhelming to us. And Father, I pray for the dads and the men in the room who are walking in shame 
and guilt and unbelief. God, I beg you in the name of Jesus to heal me and my brothers. Cause us, God, to to rise up and to be the men of the house, the leaders of our family. Help us to be sons, God, to walk in our sonship like never before. And I pray for my sisters, God, who also walk in shame and guilt. I ask, Lord, for a revelation of how precious and beautiful they are in your eyes. For we all have a place in the bosom of the Father. And I pray this week, God, that we would run to that place in the moments of our crisis. In the face of sickness or death or loss or anxiety, that we would make a habit, a practice of running to you, Father, because you are our happy thought. And so I release the spirit of adoption over us today in the name of Jesus to bring a great deliverance to our hearts. Heal us, God, of the orphan spirit. Break its power from our lives, God. And we will rise up, God, as the sons and daughters that you have called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody says. So here's your action plan this week. Don't get up. Get your phone out. Take a picture. I've got more questions for you. I want you to sit it if you're... Have a family. I encourage you to have a family meal. Sit down together and ask each other these questions. When you've fallen short and feel like you've let everyone down, what is your image of God? When you have failed and deserve judgment, what does the presence of the Father mean to you? When things are going badly and the world is crashing down around you, what is your happy thought? Is it food, drugs, pornography, a spouse, a child, your accomplishment, or is it the Father's love? And do you feel more like the Father's son or daughter, or do you feel more like a servant who is always trying to appease the Master? And then finally, in your bulletin, you have some healing prayers that I've printed up for you front and back these prayers are so powerful if you will take time this week in your time with the Lord and you will pray through these prayers with your heart I believe God the Father will meet you and heal you and begin to restore you to a path of healing and restoration so if you didn't get one there's some in the back please take these Pray these through. Pray them with your children. Go together as a family to God and get the orphan spirit off of your life and let's get the full revelation of the Father's love. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen and amen.